And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for this morning. Please welcome Reverend Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning and happy Canada Day. So as we typically do, if you'd like to sing a song with me, if you'd like to stand and do that, please feel free. Otherwise, stay seated. Words are behind me. And Brown's back to play it. I didn't even recognize it now that Brown's back playing it. I lost the words the first service, so you really need to sing. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room one life God's life perfect life and that life is in and through and as my life your life always and forever That is the perennial truth. So I speak to that. I turn my awareness to that in this moment. And as I know I do that, as I choose it, it chooses me. And the same is for you as well. And so as we welcome that that abiding of that beautiful spirit that lives and breathes and has its being in and through and as us, and is yet everywhere around us we are immersed. There is not a spot where God is not. I celebrate that this day with you. I know that as I... Listen to that conversation as I stand with you in consciousness and understand and give, give my energy and my awareness to that, that I am shifted and changed in ways I cannot even imagine. So I stand and celebrate the mystery, setting the intention and growing the vision and imparting that dynamic vibration of the Most High in my own life and in everything I think, do and say. I just give thanks, knowing that every good thing makes itself clear in my awareness this day as it does for you. It guides and leads and inspires us into the greater fulfillment of that divine expression that we are. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Awesome. Thank you, Brown, once again. It's a nice, not really nice change-up to be able to do that music today, and, and we become the soloist. I wanted to share a story with you to begin. Um, it's from a book called uh, Awakening the Buddha Within by Lama Suri Das. And uh, he's actually a, a young man from New York. He's not a young man anymore, I guess. Probably, you know, in his 40s or 50s. Not sure, but his picture on the back uh, would suggest that. Anyway, it's a story about, it's a wonderful book about Buddhism. And his, he, he, be, he, he immersed himself in the practice. And he tells a story about... Um, leading a weekend retreat in, in Texas. He was invited to come to a church. It was a Montessori school there. And the Montessori school wanted him to, to teach uh, a former uh, visit upon the children in the school, ages 7 to 11, 
some ideas around Buddhism. And so he didn't know what to do. He didn't know how it, how it would go. But as he walked in, as soon as he walked in and sat down, the, the kids started trickling in. Then they came right in and they started sitting on his lap. And they started asking questions. And he had this brass bowl-shaped gong with him. And at the end, he did the gong meditation. So he would sound the gong and he would say, now see where the sound goes. Just notice. So he had all these kids quiet. He'd sound this gong and he'd ask them, see where the sound goes. And so they would just stand there. He said, just be there for a moment or two with the sound. So let's do that, Bill. I want you to just, for this, for the sake of this experience, we can recreate this right here. I've got my, as you can see, it's my imaginary gong right here. And when I hit it, Bill in our sound booth is going to help me out with it a little bit. It's an app you can actually go on your iPhone and put on there. So ready, Bill? Okay, here we go. Do it one more time. And as you notice, the harder you hit it with your finger on the phone, the louder it gets. So he did this exercise with the children. See where the sound goes. And so the next day, one of the women in the retreat came up to, to, to him at lunch and told me, told him, that her eight-year-old son Ryan had come home and told her that something very unusual had happened that day at school. That a monk from Tibet, New York had come. (laughs) And that monk taught them about God and the Buddha and the gong meditation. And when his mother asked what what, what that was, he said, well, he told us to watch where the sound went and to listen carefully. And I didn't know you could watch a sound and listen at the same time. It was very interesting. And he said that if you follow where the sound went, that you might get closer to God and to Buddha. And I did that. The little boy said, and I did that. And his mother said, yes, and? And the boy said, well, when I watched and listened to where the sound went, I didn't get closer to God. I was God. What a delight, I thought to myself, from the mouths of babes, as the scripture said. When I had finished the gong meditation, which only takes about 30 seconds, I asked, so where did the sound go? And every hand went up. And I said, shh, 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 don't say, don't say. I couldn't believe it. Some kids even had both hands raised. How much we adults have forgotten. From the mouths of babes. I mean, the teacher Jesus said it, be like little children. We teach the perennial truth. And in this beautiful book on the next page, uh, in the description of Buddhism, when I first found this teaching, someone said to me, my first, one of my first primary teachers said to me, this is the, as close a form of Buddhism as you will find in the West, science of mind. So I want to listen to, there's a paragraph here that describes Buddhism. But I think it could also, you could also substitute Buddhism with science of mind is what we teach. Science of mind says yes, and Buddhism says yes, change is possible. Change is possible. It tells us that no matter what our background, each of us is the creator of his or her own destiny. It tells us that our thoughts, our words, and our deeds create the experience that is our future. It tells us that everything has its own place, 
Everything is sacred and everything is interconnected and it introduces a system of integrating all experiences into the path towards realizing innate perfection. Realizing innate perfection. Our journey, all of our journeys, are, it's a love story coming home to ourselves. Innate perfection. And not in the egoic personality sense. But that's a part of it. We have to have that egoic part of ourselves that reminds us, oh, there I go off being judgmental, critical of myself or others or whatever, or ambitious or whatever it may be. But to be, and, 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 and it's not about we have to destroy that. It's just simply we have to bring mindfulness to it to bring it back to this innate essence of who and what we are. It's a profound philosophy over the centuries that has developed a systematic method of shaping and developing the heart and the mind. So we are here developing the heart and the mind. And so on Canada Day, I wanted to share uh, some ideas around how this, this uh, ties together for us, I think, in a way that can be beneficial. And so I, I'm going to weave a little bit of a history lesson along with some of what Ernest Holmes had to say from a talk that he did at the Wiltern Theater back in 1937. Dr. Holmes used to hold services in 1937 at the Wiltern Theater, which is on Wilshire Boulevard, not too far from, from um, I think it's La Cienega, very close to those. And I lived about, oh, I, I lived several blocks from that location for a number of years. When I lived in Los Angeles. And the other piece is a um, piece I found on the internet about, uh, that was in the Edmonton Journal called What's in a Name on this beautiful Canada Day? And it's really about how Canada was discovered. So I'll start there with it because I think it's a beautiful example of the evolution of consciousness. So Canada was, Canada was adopted as a country in 1867. So a few years after the American Civil War, Canada became a country. And there were a lot of suggestions for names, and there were a lot of suggestions for how to put it together. We should have a kingdom, or we should have a federation, or we should have a confederacy. And the confederacy didn't feel too good at the time because it, the confederacy had just been defeated in the United States. So there were a lot of, you know, a lot of the politics of the time that were influencing it. But there were suggestions. One of the suggestions for a, a name for Canada was Canadia. Another was Arcadia. And the, um, the other was, and if it had been Arcadia, then the latter possibility for, um, for a federation name would have been, rather than, uh, would have been called East, Canada East and Canada West instead of Ontario and Quebec. The country could have also been named Quebec, which is Iroquois for narrowing of the waters, which is what the British had called it before the division into Upper and Lower Canada. Other contenders for a name were Laurentia, Victoria Land, and Cab... Cab- Cabot, Cabatia, after the explorer Cabot. New Caledonia was unsuccessful candidate for Nova Scotia. And then there was Tuponia. Tupon- we could be living in Tuponia, which was the, uh, an anachronym for the United Provinces of North America. Our choice, Kanata, is simply Iroquois for village. And then about a century later, Marshall McLuhan coined the phrase global village. But what they decided was that Canada would be a dominion. And how that came about was that um, John MacDonald wanted to call it uh, a kingdom. And because of the, 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 at the time and because of the relationship with Great Britain, it, it was decided that wasn't a good fit for a variety of reasons. 
But one morning before they were continuing their talks, New Brunswick delegate Leonard Tilly read Psalm 72 at the morning devotions. Verse 8 jumped out at him. He said, He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. He shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers unto the ends of the earth. Which, I mean, a song that uh, uh, Brown and uh, Karen picked out this morning was perfect for that. And what he suggested from that was dominion as an alternative to kingdom. And that was agreed upon. It was the right idea. They'd done enough of the, the conversation. They said, this is, a good, this is a good designator for us. It felt right. What went on to happen as a result of Canada, Canada became the model for developing home rule to Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and India, morphing Britain's empire into the Commonwealth. India and Pakistan later opted to become republics. Canadian Prime Minister Louis Saint Laurent facilitated their wish to recognize the Queen as Commonwealth head while electing their own heads of state. The word dominion has other things going for it as it doesn't identify a land with a leader. So if you have an empire, an empire has an emperor and a kingdom has a king or a queen, a duchy or a duke or a duchess, a dominion does not have a dominator or a dominatrix. Unless someone subverts the Constitution. <laughs> I'm just reading to you right now. I'm not making this up. So the Dominion of Canada can be read stewardship of a village, is what it means. Stewardship of a village. And this is a model where planetary sovereignty is jointly exercised by the governed and their leaders. So it's a collaboration. And what it means is if we look at it and if we look at the, 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 the sum total of history that we've got recorded, it's, it really is evolution of consciousness. It really is about, there were, we came out of experiences, our ancestors came out of experiences where it was so uncomfortable, they said, you know what, I'm going to sail off across this vast body of water and find a new life and create a new life. And that's what happened. And because of that experience and because of some of the, uh, the um, organizational memory, they made new choices as they went forward. So what... Um, uh, a few of the things that I wanted to, to weave into the narrative today because I want to share with you what Dr. Holmes talked about at, at July 4, 1937. Lines up so beautifully with this. Dominion implies, as it says in this article in the journal last week, it was on uh, June 28th, and if you Google what's in a name, you can read the whole article, uh, the Edmonton Journal. But it says, Dominion implies responsibility, stewardship, and accountability. And, and those ideas I'd like to just shift a little bit from responsibility in, in terms of how we look at it spiritually is not about shifting uh, or, or, or looking at things as who's to blame or why am I responsible or why am I, uh, uh, why do I take credit for this or not take credit for it, whatever it may be. But really the deeper point of that is to, to realize that responsibility is our ability to respond. And that is one of the cornerstones of our teaching, our ability to respond. It's also a cornerstone of Buddhism. Because life's going to happen around us. Things are going to happen. People are going to cut us off in the morning. How many of you prayed for rain this morning? It rained anyway, whether you did or not. But things happen. You know, I mean, I, I thought, wow, I don't have to water my flowers today. And my grass is, is going to be. And all kinds of things are going to be nourished by this. But it's the ability to respond. And stewardship... Responsibility, stewardship, responsible for the care of something. 
these people that put this together as a dominion said we want to be stewards of a global village. But for the care of something, we are stewards of our own consciousness. And then accountability is how do we measure it? Is my life getting better? Am I making progress? Am I doing, is, are things shifting and changing for me? And that's important, the feedback. We either do it or we don't do it. And our lives are the laboratory. Dr. Holmes said that. You're either doing it or aren't doing it. And if you're doing it, great. And if you're not doing it, well, do it. And don't waste any time beating yourself up. He was an amazing man. When he was done with something, he was done. When he was done with an organization, he was a platform speaker for a number of years. Platform speaker was someone that would come in and they'd have a number of things memorized, great speeches of all times. And he, was, he could, and it trained him to do what he did. I have a great affinity for, for Ernest. But that early training, and when he was done with that, he just left. He didn't have to make it bad or wrong or, or burn it down. He just said, I'm done. Got what I needed and I'm off to something else, something more interesting. But that was his consciousness. He had such a vast curiosity. So what Dr. Holmes began to say on uh, July 4th, I think is very powerful because it lines up beautifully with the foundation, not only of this country, but the United States. We are new countries. You know, what is it, Alberta? 100 years old? That's new. The history of the world. You know, they got buildings in, in France that are hundreds of years old. I have never been there, but I've seen pictures. And I believe the pictures. Holmes said, ever since the dawn of civilization, ever since the first humans began to grasp the significant fact that they were individual beings in a universe that seemed to be more or less hostile to them. Because that's what the world looks like. When we, when we come into the world and we look around the world, if we don't have some wisdom in our lives, it looks hostile. It's scary out there. That's a very popular idea. The entire search of the human mind, its whole endeavor, has been to get free from evil. All of us can think of an idea that we've had, something we've read, seen, experienced that was evil. From bondage and the shackles of lack, want, fear, superstition, uncertainty, pain, disease, poverty, and the fear of the hereafter. And because of this, because of these drivers, human systems exist. Organized philosophies spring up. Science develops. Educational systems are conducted. Collective security is sought after. And religions are formulated to allay the fears of humankind relative to the soul. We need, we need to organize in ways so that we can collectively remind one another and support one another and love one another, nurture one another into a different idea. Holmes said the great demand of the, in the world today is for a sense of security, freedom, and liberty. Security, freedom, and liberty. And what it takes with this is the responsibility and the stewardship and the accountability, as I mentioned earlier. He gives an example of this. He talks about when the pilgrims came. The pilgrims came and they landed at Plymouth Rock, as the story goes. Anybody here have anybody at Plymouth Rock? Any relatives? Anyway, they all got there. And they came because they wanted to worship God. And there were other reasons, but the, primarily they, they wanted religious freedom. And so they got there. But the moment they got there, everybody in the colony worshipped God in the way that the strong-minded members of that colony decided was the way to worship God. Isn't that the way it works? Oh, we don't like what you're doing. Come on, guys, we're going to go over here and do our own thing. And then we all get over there, and then Doug, who's got the, 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 the most influences, well, we're going to do it this way. 
And everybody says, okay. I'm not picking on Doug. He's laughing. He's just an example. But this is what happens. And as Holmes said, this is not freedom. Even in our newer religions of the last 75 or 100 years, very frequently we meet people who say they have found the truth. And then, unfortunately, a large majority of them disclose that they merely have found an idea they liked and they called it the truth because they were egotistical, self-conscious, self-righteous people with an attitude of condemnation towards others. Does this sound familiar to anything you've seen out in the world? That is not the truth, as Holmes said. In studying one system of thought after another, and he did, he read everything. This man was, an, he was eclectic. He gathered and gathered and gathered. He was, and then he synthesized. And he realized there's a commonality to all traditions. That's why we stand up here on Sunday morning and say, we honor all traditions. We do. But if you read our stuff, we're primarily Christian. We're not Hindu. He loved Sri Aurobindo, influenced him tremendously. There's a lot of that Eastern tradition, that wisdom tradition in there. And the Buddhism, is, it lines up beautifully. But he didn't invent that stuff. He just took it and said, wow, this makes sense. This is how I can see how this could line up with this. That was his genius and his gift. And he was, at the, at the time he was saying these things and writing these things, it was not, there were a lot of people that were not happy with him. It took a lot of courage to stand up and do this. He said that liberty without license, without egotism, and we can only give birth to freedom when we conceive liberty. True freedom, true liberty, has something cosmic behind it. Something cosmic behind it. So there's something that is, that, that's part of the mystery. I believe that's what happens when, when the, the Constitution of the United States was written. I believe that that's what happened when the people got together. The right people showed up at the right time with the right consciousness to say, no, we don't want a kingdom, we don't want a republic, we don't want a commonwealth, we want a dominion. There's a collaboration of people and government working hand in hand. And the challenge we have with that, and the challenge you see in the United States too, is that people show up and they are so certain what is the right answer. I mean, it's just our human nature because we become so emotionally, egotistically grounded in our opinion. We become entrenched. And then there's, there's no movement off that. And I'm not saying it's bad or wrong. It's just not a very, it's just not a very potent idea and position to be in. He talks about unity. We are a unity teaching. He talks about Jesus talking about that a kingdom cannot exist divided against itself. The kingdom of God is one kingdom, and so that we know true liberty must spring from true unity. First step of our prayer treatment, there's one life, perfect life, God's life. That life is my life. He didn't start with that just out of, out of by accident. That's a powerful statement. Powerful statement. He said, we are bound into a supreme unity. We are bound. We are connected. We cannot break this supreme unity. The little boy that followed the sound of the gong, he just followed himself home naturally. He said, I wasn't looking for God. I was God. Ah, so simple. We are bound into a supreme unity. We are tied into a mutable law of irrevocable cause and effect. What he's saying is every thought is a ripple out into the world. Every thought. 
This book on Buddhism I'm reading you for said that the, what the journey is is the awareness of that how we are responding in each moment to everything. And that's, that's a tremendous amount of shift and change in our, in our interior. This is what Holmes is speaking of. Cause and effect is something that happens as a result of the use of unity. So he understands that cause and effect is going on, and it's the use of, of, of this. Because, and because the deeper we are connected to the sense of oneness, the more powerful our experiences become. Consequently, we're even one while there, even, even we are one, even while we are many. And since each one of us is a part of the whole, we seek to destroy each other only, to, to seek to destroy each other, we ultimately only hurt ourselves. This is the great lesson of life. So when we see war, we're at war with ourselves. Freedom then will come only in such a degree as we no longer do anything that hurts anyone. But that does not mean we have to become spiritual or intellectual doormats. I do not believe that. Nothing in my belief causes me to feel that God or the creative principle wants me to suffer for myself or for anyone else. I do it. I have always done it. Perhaps I shall always be in this world, but I know that it is wrong when I do it. So he's admitting he's done it as well. Yesterday I had this wonderful, I had this coaching session with Marcia Sutton. She's helping mentor me in this co-creation stuff, the sacred healing circles, which we've been doing. Just wonderful and powerful. We're doing another one this Wednesday, the last one for a couple months until we get back to September. And we were talking about it, and there's four or five of the, the trainees, shall we say, that are on the call. And one of the trainees said, you know, uh, we had people who wanted to come to a retreat. He held a retreat on co-creation, and he said, but some people said they didn't have enough money to come. And Marcia said something really insightful and wonderful. She said, sometimes it's t- completely appropriate to scholarship someone and say, you know what, you're ready. We're going to make sure we can get you. We're going to find the money to get you through whatever. Or we'll just you know, make it a gift to you. But she said, some, and this is, she said, this is why you have to do your spiritual work and listen deeply. Because she said, sometimes the most powerful experience that will happen for that person in that workshop is being challenged to find the resources to be there. Sometimes the, the whole learning in it is, is allowing that individual to grow the consciousness and to grow the spiritual strength to be able to provide for themselves in a way and to honor themselves. And I thought, wow, because we've struggled with that here. I've had people come in and say, why do you charge for classes? Classes should be free. And I thought, well, that's an interesting idea, and it's certainly, you know, I honor it, and I listen to it, and I think, hmm. And then, I've, and then for a while there, I said, okay, anybody that can't afford a class, take a class. And what I found was when people would start the class, if they didn't pay anything, it was rare, if ever, that they finished. And I thought, isn't that interesting? And so, but what Marcia said is it's just discernment. It's not yes or no. It can't be hard and fast. You need to, you need to take the request and pray on it. And it, feel, it feels right. And if they're ready to go and they're good to go on it, yeah, for sure. Find a way for them to be there. I just thought, isn't it interesting? The great lesson, the great learning in it for all of us is to grow the consciousness, to, in, to see the highest and best as a practitioner for the individual and watch them grow the consciousness so they can provide for themselves be self-sufficient we are teaching of self-sufficiency so it's not either or but I thought what a wonderful piece to have 
And what a wonderful way of, of knowing that it's not a hard and fast rule, but it is discernment, and it's based on that interior, doing your own meditation and prayer on it. What's the highest and best for this situation? Holmes says, freedom will come only in such a degree as we no longer do anything that hurts anyone, but that does not mean we have to become spiritual or intellectual doormats. How can the supreme being desire my suffering without imposing that suffering? And what kind of a universe has a God who suffers and imposes suffering in a changeless reality? The whole theology and religious, and religious reaction of people who believe that arises out of morbidity and fear and superstition and nothing else. Well, he says, it is not so. That's not the nature of God. But we still suffer. We still suffer. Why? Because we do not understand. We might say that the world suffered darkness until somebody discovered electricity. It suffered crawling around on the face of the earth until technology was developed so we could fly and drive. It suffers limitation, not because the infinite imposes limitation, but because the world does not understand its freedom. The world is operating not understanding that this spiritual electricity is available to all, in and through and as all. And let's apply that in our lives. Let's grow that and develop that consciousness. Let's be about that work. That's what we're doing here. And it's not for everyone. One of the big mistakes that I've, I realize that I've made in ministry is I think everybody that comes in the doors wants to do their deep, deep, deep work. And it's not true. It's not true. I realize this. I've finally gotten it after 15 years of ministry. Not everybody wants to do the deep work because to pull this stuff up and look at it is painful. And who am I to say that's wrong? That's right for them. It's none of my business. All I can do is say, would you like to go there? Would you like to take a look at this? And most of the time, because they want to please me, they say, oh, yes, I do, yes, I do. And, and, and a lot of times they don't want to go there. So I just have, I, I've learned to just keep my mouth shut and say, well, what do you think? And then they'll say, I don't know. I'll say, okay. How long are you going to keep affirming I don't know? Because something within you does know. Well, what do you think I should do? And I say, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. But I mean, it's the subtleties. And, and, see, and, and, and then my, my belief that everyone's here to do their work and do their deep work is, is a bondage for me. Because they say they do, but they don't. And then, I get, and then I'm like, what's going on here? And then some people decide, well, I'm not going to do my work. Let me do your work for you. I'm like, well, thanks a lot, but I got that one handled. You're going to have to go find somebody else to fix. But it's very interesting. It's very subtle, and it's very interesting. But this is the, this is the, the joys and the, and the suffering of freedom. This is, we're, we're, we're hardwired for this. We st because we don't know. We do not use the law, as Holmes said. We do not use these principles. He said, and I love this. I want to back up here. We still suffer because we do not understand. We might say that the world suffered darkness till somebody discovered electricity. It suffered limitation, not because the infinite imposed limitation, but because the world does not understand its freedom. And when it begins to develop its freedom, seldom does it do it directly. It doesn't, it's not a straight line. 
It takes time. It takes effort. It takes heartbreak. It takes sorrow. It takes joy. It takes celebrate. It takes all the whole gamut. If you want to live a, a rich, wonderful, joyful, powerful, expansive life, then who's to say that you aren't going to have to also pull the things up in your life that with the depression and the sadness and the sorrow and the disappointment so you can look at that because you can't have great good over here without going, having the other stuff over here. You can't just say, I'm only going to experience the good. Because it's all of us, and it's all God, and when we understand it's all God, and it's all good, and it's all pushing us forward. Tell him I'll call him back in a little bit. He said that when we begin to develop freedom, seldom does we do it directly. It generally creates a new bondage. And when we kill the old devil, we're very likely to give birth to a new and more subtle one. War is more to be feared than ever before because we have more knowledge without more wisdom. And final freedom will come only as it is tied into divine wisdom. Divine wisdom. That's you, that's you and I. Developing that. Moment by moment, day by day, a little bit. Bits and bits. It's like the water drops. It's the water drops. I'm not doing that to myself anymore. I'm not going to beat myself up anymore. That's not going to be my spiritual practice anymore. What is divine wisdom? Holmes says, I'm no prophet. But I would suggest that divine wisdom must be simple and profound, as Jesus said. The kingdom of God cannot be divided against itself. We cannot be divided against ourselves. We have to be responsible. We have to look at our responsibility. How do I respond to everything? Well, how do I, am I taking all this personal when it's not personal? Am I, am I enabling someone by saying, oh yeah, you're weak and poor and broken. Let me come, come here and let me fix you. I've, we've been painting the place around here and I've been getting some help from the Bissell Center to bring in some guys up to help me. And what I, what I realize is that, you know, you, you, there's a sense of me that feels really good about helping these guys out. Like, come on, we help you. We've got some work for you. We can help you out and put you to work. But some of, the, some of them can't do it. Some of them are, just can't get the work done. So then what, what, what I do, and I don't do it out of anger, I just say, well, you know what? We're not going to be able to need, we're not going to need you anymore. Because I realize that for me to keep them here and, and, not, to be, and not to be able to address what, why they've been invited is a disservice to them and it's a disservice to the community. It's just not healthy. Because otherwise I'd have 15, I'd, I'd have 20 people around here. Because I wouldn't let anybody go. Because I said, here, I, I made a commitment to you and we're going to paint even though you can't paint. And you sit and, I had one guy that was, I, I went away to get materials. I found out when I got back. I said, what did he do when I was gone? He, there was nothing done. And, the, and, and finally at the end of the day, one of the other guys said, well, he was smoking dope all day. And I thought, well, you know what? I get it, and, and I'm not, I can't change that, but I'm not paying you to smoke dope all day. I need you to do some work. And so I just, we didn't bring him back. But there, there could be a, so it, it's just, but it's that discernment. And I didn't do it out of anger. This guy's got a problem with this. This is why he's down at the Bissell Center. These are the life choices he's made to be there. And so you, you try again. Because I've got a goal in mind, and I want to bring the people around me that have the highest levels of experience that can help achieve the goal, which is get the place painted. It's been 10 years since we planted it. It's starting to look really good. But I don't have the... I, my role in that is not to enable someone and say, okay, well, you just sit here. Your job, this is, this is Daryl, guys. Daryl won't be helping you at all today, but he's just going to sit over here and be sampling the tobacco uh, that he's got with him. It's not going to work. But you can do it from great... You can do it from great clarity. I didn't like it but I wasn't going to condemn him. Then there's, some, there's a, the right and perfect place for him. It's just not here. Not at this point in time. I don't have a job that fits what his skill set is. 
So Canada Day, I picked this out of the, I found this and I thought this was really good because I'm, Laura, Laura and I are dual citizens. And it gives you a, a perspective on the Canadian way of life and the, the American way of life. And it's about temperature. Because one of the great things we celebrate in this country is temperature, is it not? <laughs> but at 50 degrees Fahrenheit, I won't do Celsius because I don't know how to translate it. I've got to always get pen, pencil and paper. At 50 degrees Fahrenheit, New Yorkers turn, try to turn the heat on and Canadians plant gardens. At 40 degrees Fahrenheit, Californians shiver uncontrollably and Canadians sunbathe. 35 degrees Fahrenheit, Italian cars won't start and Canadians drive with the windows down. 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which is zero Celsius, distilled water freezes and Canadian water gets thicker. 20 degrees Fahrenheit, Floridians, Floridians wear coats, gloves and wool hats, Canadians throw on a t-shirt. 15 degrees Fahrenheit, Californians begin to evacuate the state and Canadians go swimming. Zero degree Fahrenheit. New York landlords finally turn up the heat and Canadians have the last cookout before it gets cold. <laughs> Minus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. People in Miami cease to exist. Canadians lick flagpoles to see if their tongues will stick. <laughs> Minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. Californians fly away to Mexico and Canadians throw on a light jacket. Minus 40 Fahrenheit. Hollywood disintegrates. Canadians rent some videos. <laughs> Minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Mount St. Helens freezes. Canadian girls, girl guides begin selling cookies door to door. <laughs> Minus 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Polar bears begin to evacuate Antarctica. Canadian Boy Scouts postpone winter survival class until it gets cold enough. <laughs> Minus 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Santa Claus abandons the North Pole. Canadians pull down their ear flaps. Minus 173 degrees Fahrenheit, ethyl alcohol freezes. Canadians get frustrated when they can't thaw the keg. <laughs> Minus 290 degrees Fahrenheit, microbial life survives on dairy products. Canadian cows complain of farmers' hands being too cold. Minus 450 degrees Fahrenheit, all atomic motion stops. Canadians start saying, cold enough for you? <laughs> and lastly, minus 500 degrees Fahrenheit, hell freezes over, and the Toronto Maple Leafs win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Just different cultures. Holmes continues, we desire freedom. We do not like evil. We do not like pain. We do not like poverty. We do not like unhappiness. Why should we? None of us likes to go to bed and worry all night and get up tired in the morning. God does not impose this on us. We, why do we do it? Because we sense freedom. We sense liberty. We sense God. And yet out there in the objective world, we experience limitation and the argument is between what we feel ought to take place and what we see and the world experiences. It seems as though we are two people, one that experiences evil and one that knows there should be no evil. The evolution of freedom in the human mind is a slow process. And many movements in the world that claim to be seeking liberty only produce new kinds of bondage. We should be aware of them. They are born out of the idea of depression. They are born out of the spirit of bondage. And if we want freedom, we must understand that freedom can never come 
by the imposition of a will of the minority over the majority. It is both finally, it is born finally and only in such degree as some system is devised whereby individuals are allowed complete freedom so long as they do not, in their freedom, impose bondage on someone else. I love uh, Robert Kennedy. I, I used a bit of his, his talk, Robert Kennedy Jr. Uh, he's an environmental activist. And he said, one of the challenges that we have living on this planet is, is that we must hold big government here and big business here because they're drivers. We see it in our environment. We see it with the oil sands and we see it with the, the political climate. And how do we walk down the middle? Because you need them both. You need them both. And it's the same as true of, of, of ourselves. How do we hold that egoic nature? How do we stand in the egoic nature of our being? The ambition to be after and, 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 and gather the things that we'd like to have in our life. And then how do we hold the emotional state that we are, that we, we carry with us so that we can stand it in, in, that, in that innate perfection that the Buddhists talk about? Our emotional life and, the, and the, the ambitions that we bring and to continue to stand in that in, innate perfection. But that's what we're here about. And as we have the discussion, we realize it's not a bad thing. All this wanting and doing. See, the Buddhists, in the, there's another chapter or page in this book about uh, uh, awakening the Buddha within. He talks about that. In the West, it's all about out there, out there, out there. But that's just, that's the culture we're in. It's not about destroying it. It's not about changing it. It's about bringing awareness to it and saying, okay, I'm going to hold this over here right now. And I'm going to hold all that, this, the things, those emotional things, all those opinions and beliefs I have about myself so that I can bask in the glow of that innate perfection. That innate perfection. So that when I hear the gong, I can follow it back to my center. So that when I do the prayer, when I get down in the, in the evening or I get up in the morning or I stand with my prayer partner, if you don't have a prayer partner, you need a prayer partner. Everybody needs a prayer partner. I don't care who you are. Jesus had 12 of them. But when you stand in prayer with somebody and you hold the sacred and you create that vibration of the Most High and we do it in the twinkling of an eye, it's powerful. And to have that in your life and to make the shifts and changes and to bring that love, to bring that light forward by means of all of us, so it, it changes the world. The Buddha said it. We don't have to change anything. When you become awakened, everyone awakens. When you become awakened, everyone awakens. And, and as Holmes said, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. You know, some of the Buddhists, some of the Buddhist monks, because they teach reincarnation, say that some of them take a vow, they're going to keep coming back and back and back until everyone is enlightened. I don't know if I could volunteer for that. I, I really don't. I don't think I could stand before I say, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with those guys. I'm just going to keep going on and on. But I mean, you talk about consciousness. You talk about commitment and clarity and understanding. Holy moly. There's something to know. But we don't have to do that today. All we have to do is see where we are and say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I may not know, but something within me does know. And what, So I'm going to go there. So I'm lost. I don't know my purpose in life. I don't know my direction. If this, is your, if this is where you are in your life, or I'm sad because a relationship just ended, or I'm looking for a new relationship, new job, new money, new home, whatever it may be, new family. Well, you know, wherever we are, that's the human condition. That's that limitation that is so popular. But to be able to say, you know, I know these conditions are real in my life, but they're just facts, and facts change all the time. 
And so what I'm doing is I'm stepping into the awareness and the humility and the receptivity and the surrender of co-creation so that the infinite intelligence that lives and moves and has this being through me knows the highest and best expression of life for me in this moment. And so what is the right and perfect and next and best appropriate step for me? And it's going to be different for all of us. But to go there and go there sooner rather than later and dip into that well of knowing to that innate perfection. There's a wonderful poem by Mary Oliver I want to leave you with today. It's, it's always been one of my favorite poems, and there's a beautiful line in it that I just think is spectacular. It's very short. It's called, Where Does the Temple Begin and Where Does It End? I'm hearing music. Anybody hearing music? It's quite lovely. Mary Oliver says, There are things you can't reach. There are things you can't reach, but you can reach out to them and all day long. You can reach out to them and all day long. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. The wind, the bird flying away, the idea of God. And it can keep you as busy as anything else. And it can keep you as busy as anything else and happier and happier. The snake slides away, the fish jump like a little lily out of the water and back in. The goldfinches sing from the unreachable tops of the tree. I look morning to night, and I am never done with looking. I look morning to night, and I'm never done with looking. Looking, I mean not just standing around, but standing around as though with your arms open. Your arms open. Every picture I've ever seen of Jesus, he's always got his arms like this and his hands out. With your arms open. He fought the fight with the open fist. It was never like this. Ever see a picture of Jesus going like that? Ever seen one? And I'm sure the Buddha, the same thing. And thinking, Mary Oliver says, maybe something will come, some shining coil of wind or a few leaves from an old tree. They are all in this too. And now I will tell you the truth. And I love this, my favorite part. Everything in the world comes at least closer. Everything in the world comes at least closer and cordially and cordially. It's friendly. Like the nibbling tinsel-eyed fish, the unlooping snake, like goldfinches, little dolls of gold flooding around the corners of the sky of God and the blue air. Everything in the world comes at least closer cordially. Happy Canada Day.